that is an important thing for creative people. If you don't challenge yourself to evolve or grow or create something better than you did before, then you just end up resenting yourself or the work you do or the people that you're talking to or the people that you're playing for. You end up hating your audience if you're not like moving forward at all. You can't feel stuck because complacency is like cancer. Hi, this is Stephanie Fallon. And this is Tony Russo. And you're listening to another episode of So What's Your Story? A podcast in which we talk to authors and writers about their writing, their stories behind the story, their writing process, and any other sort of miscellaneous writing stuff that we want to talk about. Today on the podcast, we have Brian Russo, an award-winning journalist and acclaimed songwriter and musician. Growing up in rural Pennsylvania, he studied the classical violin and played Mozart, but then quickly discovered the likes of Bob Dylan, Randy Newman, and Tom Waits. As a journalist, he was the brains and voice behind Coastal Connection, a weekly show on WAMU, an NPR station out of American University in Washington, D.C. For his journalistic endeavors there, Brian won 19 Associated Press Awards and two Edward R. Murrow Awards. He now writes for The Dispatch and continues to spread his bluesy sound on stage with the likes of John Mayle, the Black Keys, Mark Roussard, Shooter Jennings, and Trombone Shorty and Orleans Avenue. So welcome to the podcast, Brian. Thanks for having me. I am really excited about this podcast, only because I think this is the first time like we've actually met Met. But uh, I, like I've seen you perform. Actually, I saw you open for Mark Broussard and mm-hmm. Trom- Trombone Shorty, so... I sort of have like a little fangirl moment <laughs> happening right now, so I'll just. Well, kinda... I, I've been a great admirer of your work for for quite some time, and it is unfortunate that we sort of run in similar circles, but yet have not, you know, um, our ships have not run aground together at the same time. Yeah, I think I even made a post on Facebook. This is so I'm totally fangirling, so y'all have fine. to excuse me. But um, like there was one time you had made a post on Facebook, and I was like, I know, like we're Facebook friends, and we've never actually <laughs> met like normal people in real life, but you know, and then it was sort of it was kind of like one of those moments where you know and the other part too is i've been doing this podcast with tony russo so everybody goes oh my gosh i loved his show yeah, people on love my radio show and i'm like yeah not that russo so <laughs> i'm always really rude to them i'm like yeah well i i didn't make it for you and then I, and then, and then so when we decide when, when i told tony we were, we were gonna have you on he's like we'll have to call it the no relation podcast right, right. well we we've sort of had that for a while because you know, we're both named Russo and we both are writers. And, you know, so I will go in and do a story and someone will say, I love that piece that you did a few years ago on my wife. And I was like, I have no idea who your wife is. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that was Tony. And, and, and I know you have gotten the same of- thing, you know, where people will... We'll say, oh, you know, I like your show or whatever. Right. And, 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 well, because you worked for the dispatch when I worked for the base Aggies, that's so be like, so this will be in the dispatch. I'm like, no, 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 it won't. <laughs> it actually happened to me the other, other week now that I've come back to the dispatch. Um, I forget where I was, but I, I went somewhere and, and, the the person that I was interviewing was like, man, I really used to love your stuff in the Bayside Gazette. And I was like, that's, <laughs> no, that's phenomenal because I never worked there. But, you know, the, I guess the good thing is, is that neither one, I don't think anybody is collectively at least up front told us that our work is complete crap. Right. So yeah. we don't have to like, you know, maybe I'm, I'm glad that you don't like say salacious things in public and right. then I have to like take punches <laughs> yeah. for it. Nor, nor is um, one person have to apologize for the other. I feel like, oh man, I'm really sorry. He writes so terribly, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, actually since you brought, since you, since you brought up the, 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 uh, the question of yelling, that was the first thing I wanted to talk about after I cough. Excuse me. <clears throat> um, you were, 
the fourth song on on your new record. So we're we're also going to talk about your new record. Does it have a name yet? It's going to be called the Burden of Proof. The Burden of Proof, and that's not the one I'm talking about. I'm talking about the you had a you had a video concept already. Yes. Um, about about people yelling at one another. Right. Um, what I wanted to talk about was kind of the you you were let's 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 say it like you're writing in 3D, right? Because for for when you're when you when you're doing journalism writing or, or when you're doing novel writing or when you're doing you know paper writing. All you have to do is say, all right, I've got this one shot to communicate it. Mm-hmm. But when you're writing songs, it's kind of like an essay that you're doing. You're, you're, you're doing this essay. You're writing anyway. Your, your songs, specifically the songs that we were listening to just now, there are essays about something. And so you're communicating the essay both with the words and with the music. And then this third dimension, we'll say, is, is the video. And you have to kind of have that all together at the same mm-hmm. time. And you, well, everything's you, visual now. Like, right. think about when you hear about an artist that you like, you go on YouTube, right? And and then you look at that. You know, you want to see them, and then you want to hear them. And you want to watch how they interact with their people, and so it's all very visual now. Whereas before, you know, you get a cassette tape slipped to you, and you would like. I remember when somebody played me Public Enemy for the first time, and I went and listened to it, and I, I had to imagine what Chuck D looked like, right? And what Flavor Flav looked like, and then I saw him. Um, so, you know, it's all very visual now. We want to see what we are consuming. Um, just, you know, even think about food. We want to know. I I did an interview with Jim Perdue this week and it was about the fact that, um, Perdue launched this, uh, new initiative that has a sharpened focus on animal care. And as I was talking to him about the fact that how they're going to care for the animals based on the consumer wanting to know where they're their food is from and everything. I just kept thinking of that Portlandia episode where they're sitting in the cafe and they're like, what was the chicken's name? Did it have a good life? Was it happy? (laughs) You know? And, And I think that's what it is. Now, consumers in this world of social media, in this world of, you know, everyone has a voice now. Right. We, 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 we want to have a relationship with it. We want to touch it. We want to feel it. We want to comment on it. And so... They want to see it, and if they can't see it, it's almost not valuable to them. Right, or less um, valuable. Story. Right, and then the other thing that we do, sort of subconsciously, is we rate things based on the volume of times or the number of times that it's been consumed. So, going back to that artist that you go and check out on YouTube, you look at the views, right? And they're like, "Oh, this guy's famous. He's had four million views." Or am I ahead of the curve? But it might be a crap song, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you could literally write. You know, the Friday, you, you could write a, the imagine of our time oh. and it still will never have as many hits as Gangnam Style. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yes. So you can't necessarily rate quality based on quantity. quantity. Right. And that unfortunately is, is a difficulty for me in, in creating art in this world or creating anything, whether it's a song or whether it's an essay because now even journalism is chasing the retweet. Right. And it's the whole industry is sort of eating its arm out of the bear trap that is the digital age. And they're trying to survive. And they all just look like sort of contorted zombies <laughs> all, you know, trying to move on. So you kind of remind me of a bit of an old school guy. You know, yeah. like your songs are sort of vintage I mean, um, Too Many Cooks in the Kitchen. As soon as I heard that on the new album here, I was like, I know I've heard that before. And it's got a sort of a vintage kind of throwback feel. And you kind of strike me as sort of a vintage kind of 
like I dig the retro kind of vibe. So how do you reconcile in your writing, in your songwriting, in your music? How do you reconcile that pull? I know I have a pull. I mean, I have a typewriter at home and, you know, like I, you know, bang on the keys, you know. I, so- I think I'm the only one in this room that doesn't write on a typewriter. I don't write on a typewriter, but I love old typewriters. (laughs) But unfortunately, my kids have broken all my old typewriters, Uh. so they're just aesthetics in my house. (laughs) I love them. I actually got them working. I will uh, throw hello, Cody Pointer, who uh, was on the podcast to inspire me. But how do you kind of, how how do you sort of amalgamate uh, like that vintage throwback feel that sort of that that sort of root with knowing exactly what you're saying that people want it instant and they want retweets and they want this other thing. I mean, that's got to be like a weird space to be in, right? It is, but I think it comes down to authenticity and I think you got to be who you are. And, you know, I, I realize that my age, I probably, you know, if it's a visual world, I know that I'm not going to do very well with the 15-year-old girl demographic because, you know, I don't look that good in skinny jeans. <laughs> but, you know, I... You look great I, in hats, though. I, I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> I, I think that if you're going to write a song, like like when they, about any writer, they say write about what you know, right? Sure. And so I think what happens is people try and write hits or they try and write what they think people want to hear instead of actually taking a stand and saying something. So <clears throat> the stuff that really made me want to hide under my bed and read the liner notes of records were things that said something. And I feel like you know, an, an artist should write about the times that they live in. And it, we shouldn't, We, I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on that's heavy. And, oh, absolutely. And artists need to talk about that, you know. I mean, Bob Dylan could have written about some really floofy stuff in the 60s, but he didn't. No. You know, and it changed everything. So, I don't know, I feel like, I feel like the audience has also changed too. You know, we have... We're sort of there's these times in music when it's about the mind and lyrics challenge people, and other times in music it's about the body. And I think we're in a body thing. It's about make people shake it, make people dance, put this sonic wallpaper on. Um, you know, this EDM that is big now. It's just the new brand of disco. Uh, I think right now it, people just kind of want to shake it a little bit, or they just want to quietly ignore it while they have a latte. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if the audience wants to hear what a 38-year-old white songwriter has to say about, you know, prescription pills, but I'm going to put it out there anyway. <laughs> well, and, and also uh, one, of the, one of the upsides of that, one of the upsides of the digital age is you can find your own market. You can, you can kind of cultivate your own. You don't, you don't need permission anymore. No, you don't. Right. You, I, you, did, you did this record. I mean, this record doesn't sound like it would have sound if you made it. In 1978, for example, on your own. Well, we did it sort of old school. We, I mean, we did it very, we didn't put a lot of, you know, in, in modern day recording, you can put everything sort of into this um, grid and you can make it sound perfect like humans didn't make it. We wanted right. to have mistakes and we wanted it to have moments where it is obvious that humans made this in a room together. Right. So even the way we recorded it, very few overdubs, just, you know, four guys in a room making sound together and there's bleed and, and, and that's sound going from right, one, one track to, to another. Other. Um, and I'm super proud of these songs. They say something, they are sort of tips of the hats, 
to the things that influenced me. Um, and so that's why, uh, you know, but then at the same time, it really has allowed my son to grow. So at the end of last year, I think maybe it was after the Mark Broussard show, um, or after the trombone shorty show. Um, but I remember sitting down with trombone shorty and talking with him and he really liked some of the jazzier stuff that I did. And he was like, Oh, I'd love to have a record of yours. And I went to give him a record and it was a record that I did previously that I'm super proud about, but it was extremely bluesy, very stompy. And it wasn't anything sounding like what I had just played on the stage and what right. I was, what I sort of turned him on to of my sound. And so I realized that I had dozens and dozens and dozens of songs that I needed to catch up on. And I had just been sort of going through that thing of playing, 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 and hustle, hustle, hustle. And I didn't spend any time on, you know, creating. Right. So I took just having that conversation. break. Yeah, we were just literally having that conversation Be- because before you came what, in. I mean, and you, you know this from, because we have the same problem. At some point you have to say, all right, I, I know I have to do my whatever six stories a week. I, I have to I have to do my writing for my job. Right. But I also I'm letting all these little genius things slip away because I'm not doing my you know, I'm I'm not I'm not doing I'm not doing the work I ought to be doing mm-hmm. even a little bit. I'm not even chipping away at it. And oh, yeah. that's what you have to yeah, eventually you're like, Well, I haven't put out anything new and good for a while. Because that is an important thing for creative people. If you don't if you don't um, challenge yourself to evolve or grow or create something better than you did before, then you just end up resenting yourself or the work you do or the people that you're talking to or the people that you're playing for. You end up hating your audience right. if you're not like moving forward at all. You can't feel stuck because complacency is like cancer. Right. It, and it is the death you, of it. So you can go out and you can do the... Uh, so it was a, so I, I write I write blogs about the beach all the time that I'm I'm paid to write them. I don't mind writing them, sure. but I wouldn't write them if there wasn't a paycheck attached to it. Right. And and sometimes you can and people people thousands of people read them. Lots of people like them. I get lots of traction. And and I'm like, oh, I'm doing this. And then after a while, you have to say, yeah, but that's not what you want to do. That's that you're you're doing this to you, this is. This is at least partially a means, and right. and then well, there's, and reven- then there's says, oh, revenue gigs and, out? and I yeah. think, oh, that's right, I have stuff that yeah. that nobody has seen because I've been working on this other thing. So I mean, and, and it's since Coastal Connection was canceled, and I was sort of faced with a very. I've made the joke before that I sort of had a midlife crisis that was thrust upon me by <laughs> the, the fact that. Uh, budget cuts sort of old yellered my career uh, behind the woodshed. But, you know, I started thinking about how do I want to tell the type of stories that I want to tell because that was where I wanted to be in journalism. And that was, I, I sort of found a home there. You know, how you, yeah. when you find your place and you find your, your tribe, you're like, yeah, this is the type of work I want to do. And so when that was taken away abruptly, I was left with sort of looking at what the industry had become and thinking, do I really want to uproot my family and go chase an industry that is literally, you know, on the ropes, like, you know, the guy's got the smelling salts and they're at the standing eight count. Or do I want to, you know, realize what I have, 
make the best of it and realize the volume of that choice. And so obviously we chose the latter. And, and so then I started thinking, how do I get to tell stories like that, that I want to, and what I've come to is documentary films. And I feel like that is where long form storytelling is living. Probably. Um, Right. And so I've got a ton of ideas. I've in the notes thing over there. I have literally five documentary film ideas that are really good, and I just have to find a time and be funding. Right. Um, then I, I, the other thing I've been doing is sort of cobbling together uh, freelance work. And so I was going to Vegas doing some work with Panasonic uh, a few months ago, and I came up with a book idea. And it's really good, and it sort of falls into that long-form storytelling. So that's in there. And then I've got... You know, not only this record, but this record is essentially the first in a modern symphony. It's four records, four different sounds, four full records. Um, and, you know, I was going to put them out quarterly. We're about to start the second one. So the first record is very much the influence record, kind of, you know, um, it's very throwback. Um, 30s, 40s jazz, early 50s rock and roll, you know, even some stuff I loved about the Beatles, like Penny Lane kind of Beatles. Um, and it even has sort of my born to run, uh, this track called shiny brass rings that is probably one of the most autobiographical songs that I've ever written, just thinly veiled in, in, in nuance. Um, but then the next one will be a country Americana record. Then the third one will be like, you know, exile on main street meets chess records horns. And then the fourth one will be just a lyrical throwdown in a bluesy format on everything from journalism to celebrity obsessed culture, to the ridiculous stuff that's going on in society now. It's just a really lyrical throwdown, um, front porch kind of blues record. And now, um, do you, how do you, how do you support this? Are you, are you going to support this like with a, with like a, 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 a small regional tour, like putting that stuff? I, I, I was, I've been talking recently about, uh, I try to do some live podcasts mm-hmm. in support of my, of my beer book. Um, because I, not from this planet, and I would show up at places, and it's just, it's booking your own tours, or I, I don't have to tell you, absolutely brutal. Mm-hmm. And so you're you're kind of in a position now where the audience does come to you here. I mean, you know, you you'll play from Easton. You you can you can you can get shows whatever from Easton to Ocean. Yeah. So that's that's not a problem. So is 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 promoting this album something that's on your to-do list? Or? Yeah, I, I think I'm still trying to figure out... I think I'm still in that creation mode, and, and I'm thinking less about how the audience is going to consume it. I just want to create it at this right. point, and I want to be proud of it, and I want to be able to you know, help these songs, whether that's placements in you know films or commercials or whatever, or taking some of these songs and allowing other artists to cut them. Uh, I'm not sure... What I want to do, I just know I need to make them. Right. Yeah, and, I think that's sort of the impetus for yeah. for like you were just talking like you gotta create, and sometimes you're like like your pigeon book. I don't know who's gonna read your pigeon book, but you clearly have an into you know you've clearly got a a drive to write the pigeon book. So you know, and I think we all have as authors, as writers, as you know, creative people, we have these drives to create things to tell stories. And I think it was evident in your Coastal Connection show um, that that you have this drive to tell a story. And I think that's sort of, you know, it clearly bleeds into songs, although with a song, maybe you don't get as much time, you know, to tell a full story, yeah. which is so I can understand but, why you would bleed into the documentary to really get that long format going. Well, here's the thing about it. I, I think, 
I think songwriting and journalism largely are, are very similar. They're both, you know, you're, you're both telling stories. And the difference is in journalism, it has to be purely about fact, or at least it should be. Sure. Um, whereas in songwriting, you can, you can hide autobiographical stuff or you can change, you know, the story. You know, you can tell a tall tale somewhere in right. between the verse and, and the bridge, you know, right. like it, you can, you have that sort of control. So like, if you think about, I was talking to my son about this the other day, who's started to play guitar and we were talking about action figures and I was like, you know, being an artsy kid, you know, you play with action figures. I remember playing with GI Joes and, and creating these like movies with them because I ran the storyline and I got to change the nuance and, and the reality of what was happening with these characters. And so I realized that as I grew up and I stopped playing with action figures, that, that, that I do that sometimes in my songs. You want to, you know, you, you sometimes don't like the world that you live in or that you're experiencing, whether that's heartbreak or job loss or, you know, in whatever, craziness in society. And with songs, you can either create something that you'd like it to be, or you can shine a light on the stuff you don't like, or you can just, you know, be upset or be, you know, whatever. Like Elvis Costello said, there's like eight, you know, things songs are about. I want something. I need something. I lost something. I believe in something. You know, and then there's a couple, Along those there, lines. There's a couple yeah. more. So, I don't know. I just, I think that there is an, an, an empty palette uh, or canvas, and you shouldn't just fill it with stuff that is fluffy or about lost cul-de-sac love or stuff that's been written about 700 times before. Right. You know? So, pursuit of the original. When you're when you're doing uh, autobiographical stuff, um, I'm always afraid of getting caught. Do you do you feel like when my my concern when I'm writing something that's veiled, I feel like the veil is too thin, or that by by veiling it, I'm introducing uh, an irreconcilable inconsistency, like the lies. The part of it that's not true always kind of so sticks out that I that I feel like I have to retreat from that, and uh, it's, it's something that I've never really I can I can write this is me and and this is what happened, but when I write this is me except my name is John and I live someplace else and this is what happened, it feels like I can't I can't I can't break past that. So I think that's because you're editing your own work in your head, yeah. right? Like you're you're your own worst critic sometimes, and so. Like I have that with melody lines. Like I'll I'll write a melody line and then I will literally sit and think, like, who did I subconsciously rip this right. off? Of? <laughs> right. You know, and like because there's no way that that could have been given to me, and this is an original idea or thought. And right. so you, I mean, you can. I've driven myself crazy thinking about stuff like that. Like I, a few songs that I've written, I was like, wow, this is really catchy. This is really good. How you know? But then you start thinking about it, and there's only. There's only so many ideas. There's only so many notes. There's only so many combinations. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, the human experience is the human experience is the human experience. And your portrayal of it is your portrayal of it. So if you're not a very good liar. Right. <laughs> it, it, Tony's you know, a terrible liar. It, it, then, then, you know, it's not a, a huge deal. But I guess it depends on what you're, you're telling a tall tale about, you know, and who you're telling it to. So but that's not when you're, when you're going through... 
when you're going through your process, when you're like, I want to write a story about this, um, that's not moving it, moving it into a song. That's not leaving it, leaving it thinly veiled autobiography, autobiography is not a problem for you. No, because it's actually, because you're so disciplined with the journalism that, you know, truth, get to the third layer of the onion, fact, 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 right. you know, don't give me any BS when I'm asking you a question. Like you see through that when right. you've done it for a long time. So you're just factual. And then when you have the opportunity to sit down and you can write, like I wrote this song after the Ferguson riots and I was just, I woke up at five in the morning cause that's when I try and wake up to write. That's when you can sort of hear the old farmhouse breathe and you can sit and write and it's quiet and the kids are still asleep and it's, you know, nice. <laughs> um, but I woke up and I was so troubled by it and you know, there's nothing that you can do in this journalism landscape. You can't write a scathing editorial because people won't listen to it. They'll just yell at you from, they, they, from the people corner. People already know. It's, that's the very frustrating thing. It's right. like everybody already knows everything. So Right. Right. And so I sat down and I wrote a song called Blow That Whistle, which will be on the second record. Um, and it's a song that I'm super proud of. And it, and it just... It is being able to shine a light on something that I felt and say something that I felt. And it didn't matter, you know, about, I mean, of course it was there, there was fact in it, but there's that freedom to do something artistically that, you know, you have to have the discipline of, of, you know, the who, what, when, where, why. It's the story about here. how you felt right. about what happened. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so in the, in the concept of storytelling, and I just wanted to kind of, this was something that was, you said something earlier, I just kind of pinged back in my brain. So the types of uh, journalism, the types of storytelling, so in journalism, it's very fact, fact, fact. Mm -hmm. But I also felt like with Coastal Connection and some of the NPR work that you did, you were allowed to sort of kind of invest more of you in that work, maybe necessarily than like, you know, tr like the true journalism. Not that I'm saying that NPR isn't journalism. I do not mean that at all. But I mean that there's, it almost sort of felt like with some of the, the other work that you did, there was like, I feel like we kind of got you as well as the story. Whereas sometimes with strict journalism, it's just the fact, 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 right. the thing. And they don't want you, you know, Brian Russo in this story. But I felt like in some other ways, there are moments in journalism when you can do that. And how do you sort of balance that? Or is that why you kind of drive towards the, you know, is that why? I, I, I guess I always tried to take people there. And I think that's why radio is kind of an, a great medium for that. Yeah. Um, because like, you know, you, if you think about a, a normal NPR story and the, you know, you have the, the host in the studio saying, you know, here's the 30 second lead telling you what we're going to do. And, you know, Brian Russo is in Baghdad with the report and then it cuts to the sound and you hear it. And then you, you, you have to take people in and you're not just saying, you know, 14 people were killed today by a bomb. You're talking about the person that was lying under rubble or was digging people out of rubble. And that, helps you not only feel what has happened and that it, it matters to you, um, but then you start to, you know, feel the volume of, of and really palette the news. So what I always did was I tried to start very small on a very human part of the story and then broaden it out to 
than the facts, you know, especially if I was doing a long form piece, like, you know, about homelessness or, or things like that. So instead of starting with statistics where people have been so over, you know, whelmed with statistics in their life, start with a human story. And I find that the best stories, uh, you know, are always, they always start with a human, you Absolutely. know, and, and, or a place. And if you can take people there and make them be there with you, I think they'll really appreciate not only the work that you do, um, but they'll appreciate the fact that you took them there. You know what I mean? Like one of my former colleagues at WMU, Kavitha Cardoza, I think is one of the most compassionate and talented and amazing journalists out there. And she told um, stories about education that were so powerful and, and poignant um, about people who would never have their stories told. And I think that's the role of people is don't chase the story that everybody will click on. Chase the story that needs to be told. And that's what I've always tried to do. And it seems like that's what you're trying to do in this next album series mm-hmm. is not tell, not sing the songs and, and write the songs that, you know, are going to be like bubblegum for the brain. But, right. you know, the songs of... Ferguson and, you know, prescription pills and the anger yeah. that we see. Yeah. I mean, the, the seething cauldron of discontent that, <laughs> that is, <laughs> is sort of the society us. that we live in. Gosh. And, and so the, the one song that I, I hope you guys will play, it's called Honesty. I'm, I'm considering this one to be the, the first track off the record. The chorus of it goes, you know, I don't know about you and you don't know about me. What's more brutal, lies or honesty? And I think that we we think that we're being brutally honest with people by standing on our soapboxes. But oftentimes, you know, we're sort of lying to ourselves yeah. and we're lying to everybody else. And I don't know. I, I think there is – everybody's suspect of one another. There is a lack of tolerance, you know, and so – I, you know the Soul Train line? Like, here was my idea. The Soul Train line where everybody would dance down the middle of it. Well, on each side of it, you have these, you know, the lefts and the rights and gays and straights. And uh, then you have, you know, people who like Donald Trump and people who hate Donald Trump. And then you have, you know, Jews and, and Christians. And you have, you know, just these divided, angry, you know, humans that... Like people who like guns, people who don't like guns, you know, just like, and then basically having children dance down the middle of it while these people are not dancing. They are screaming and yelling at each other because I think it's fascinating what kids think of all this. Oh yeah. You know, my 13 year old, the conversations I've had with him and my seven year old, the conversations I've had with her have been uh, incredible. Like it's just, 
yeah. I yeah, I mean, I don't have kids, and I absolutely could not imagine having kids and trying to raise them and trying to help them figure out what all this is. I mean, I have a dog, and that's about where my <laughs> that's about like I'm I'm good there. But I mean, hats off to you guys. I know you've got four girls, and holy smokes, I it's it's we we can we can turn this into into parenting the parenting talk, the parenting off, podcast offline um, only because we're coming to the oh, no, we're. Trains coming into the station now. So uh, before we before we wrap this up, really quick, um, I just want to get your social stuff. Where can people get your 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 record? Where can they find out? Well, it's you? not out yet. You guys are actually, you know, if if you play any of it, it'll be oh, we'll play the first time it'll be heard. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it'll be out probably for the next month. We're just finishing up the album art, and uh, then it'll be out. And I think we're going to be doing something where. I think one of the local radio stations is going to be playing a few songs and then people are going to be able to pick what single goes on the radio, which will be cool. Um, and then I'm just going to be making new records and I'm playing a few shows here and there. Um, I'm really focusing more on creation rather than live stuff. But um, we're going to put it up online too because there's a lot of people from around the world that, that want to buy this um, and I won't be able to tour in their town anytime <laughs> soon. So uh, I think I'm going to give Bandcamp a try, which is... Uh, people a, seem to a, like that. Yeah, I, I think that'll be a, a cool way to put it out there. But my website is brianrusso.com, B-R-Y-A-N-R-U-S-S-O, um, on the Facebook and the Twitter. And I'm oh. on Instagram, but that is so weird. I, I really don't care for the Instagram. It's 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 a, it's... A, it's where there it's not to me it's easier than Twitter Twitter to me is so overwhelming I mean I do the Twitter thing but it's so overwhelming whereas I can just like picture of a thing a few words and and go right. it's just, it yeah. seems easier to me I, but I'm not a selfie person so it just seems like it's selfies and then like before and after fitness photos and and then like in mine I, I get a lot of people that are like you know playing the guitar Right and, well, and, I, I, and British soccer, I, which I like. Part, part of part of part of my promotional thing is I, I try to take a lot of pictures of me drinking and smoking to kind of promote the whole fight. Well, it certainly gives you Son an authentic Satan. feel if they go to your Instagram and it's nothing but cigars and <laughs> bourbon. They're like, oh yeah, this guy wrote a book about alcohol. I, I get it. Yeah. yeah. All right, but uh, now, so this is the part of the show where you thank the guests. Well, Brian, thank you so much for being here. We're definitely going to put some, uh, we'll have all of your links up and we'll do some uh, snippets if you're good with that. And sure. we'll uh, let everybody listen. Cool. So, thank Thanks you very much. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So What's Your Story was recorded at Saltwater Media, an indie book publisher in Berlin, Maryland. To hear more, visit www.saltwatermedia.com. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or on Stitcher. And if you want other people to hear more, give us a great review there. Tell your story.